Welcome to the podcast for the 21st Annual First Conference Kyoto, Japan, June 28th through July 3rd, 2009. The Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing together computer security incident response teams. I'm your host, Martin McKay, and I'll be bringing you weekly interviews highlighting the people who make the First Conference possible, the leading experts in the CSIRT field who will be presenting, and the topics that will be covered. The theme for the 2009 conference is Aftermath. Crafts and Lessons of Incident Recovery. The conference covers advanced topics in security incident prevention, detection, and response, the latest advances in computer and network security tools, and opportunities to share views, experiences, and resolutions in the computer security incident response field. For more information on the conference, please visit conference.first.org. And now, please join me for this week's interview in progress. This episode, I had a chance to talk to Gib Sarabo, Chief Security Engineer of SAIC. Uh, uh, what's a Chief Security Engineer do? Well, it, it, it involves a lot of things and a lot of hats. Uh, I'm uh, outwardly facing uh, involving working with outside customers, uh, providing uh, support for uh, their enterprises uh, with respect to security and incident response and so forth, uh, coordinating incident response teams. Uh, work with customers do, uh, to do security assessments and manage those, for, uh, particularly for federal civilian agencies that need to uh, have their systems certified and accredited, uh, and work with uh, commercial companies that are looking to uh, uh, adhere to a particular set of standards, either government or uh, commercial, such as ISO, and uh, also working in, in some other uh, growing fields, such as uh, security in the energy uh, market with uh, SCADA security and industrial control system security. Uh, so end up wearing a lot of hats. I was going to say, that's a, a wide range of topics to, mm-hmm. to cover, in, and even the SCADA security all by itself could uh, could mm-hmm. be a career. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely, and it, it's becoming one for a lot of people. It's a relatively new area since the in the past the security people and the SCADA people didn't always uh, talk together. So now we're actually seeing uh, a practice develop around it. Well, now you'll be talking at uh, the the first conference in Kyoto, Japan this summer, and uh, your title is uh, Content, the Next Generation of Incident Response. Uh, what does that mean, and, and uh, what's your, your talk going to be about? Right. Well, what, uh, what seems to be happening more and more, and it's come out in, in different uh, surveys, such as the last year's uh, Verizon Breach Report, is that more often than not, when, when somebody gets attacked and, and something is compromised, uh, oftentimes they find that the data that uh, was taken or that was uh, on, on a particular server that was compromised, they didn't even realize it was there. They didn't know. Uh, they, they had very limited information about the, where content is stored and what type of content is, whether it's sensitive, so security numbers, credit card numbers, uh, which obviously have become more of an issue related with the recent passage of uh, state breach laws and some of the uh, PCI regulations for credit cards. And so more and more focus is being paid on you know what data was there, and, and so that needs to be a part of uh, an incident response team, and, and they need to be aware of that. And, and talking, and what I'm going to talk about is some of the tools that uh, can be used in that field. Everything from standard forensics and enterprise search tools to the evolving data leak prevention market that focuses on content. 
uh, and try to talk about ways that that can be integrated into uh, a security operations center and, a, and an incident response team uh, and some of the challenges that pose because in the past uh, uh, you'd hire an incident response team that would know uh, what, a, what a firewall was, what, a, what, what malware looked like, uh, what to, uh, to some extent spam and other things like that and they, they weren't really focused on the content of it. It was basically is it, is it going to do bad things to computers, is it going to try to break in or not? Uh, more often than not, those tools are not successful enough to detect when uh, sensitive data is leaving the enterprise. Because in reality, that's what you're trying to protect is the data. You're not really caring as much whether somebody breaks in if they don't take data or look at it or, or manipulate it. So uh, what you want to do is know when that where that data is going is it getting moved out. And in some cases, just seeing a, uh, a uh, an information channel going from your organization out to say China or some other place that that you don't have a relationship with, uh, even if it even if it's a standard web transaction or something else like that, can highlight the fact that you know there may be a problem that you didn't detect some sort of uh, unknown uh, exploit that uh, was attacking you that that the, that the attacker was able to mask the transaction looking like a standard uh, web transaction or something else like that, and it's only by looking at the content that you realize that 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 something that that information should not be flowing out through that channel. So. Uh, well, what I'll be talking about is ways that you can organize your operations center to be able to leverage some of those tools, uh, and then how you need to leverage the, uh, the the organization itself. Because a lot of times, the the people that are managing the security operations center and doing the incident response don't know the business process as well enough to know whether or not you know that that is normal communication to say send that type of data out. They may know what where. Uh, connections are opened and whether they're closed and who they're connecting with, but they really don't know a whole lot about the information that's going out through those channels. And uh, a lot of times that means you need to involve uh, people in business units that, that are actually working with that information to uh, to discuss with them whether what is uh, normal information and then uh, involve them in the incident response so you can ask them, is this out of the ordinary? Did you guys do something that that isn't that's unusual, but it's it's uh, was approved, uh, and and so it involves a, a larger chain of people that need to be involved in the whole process. So uh, we'll talk about ways that may, may be able to automate some of that using some of the tools that are already available. What else could be developed? What are requirements that vendors should be looking at for uh, for uh, supporting uh, such an operation? It, it sounds a little bit like you're talking about uh, the concept I think Richard Baitlich calls um, extrusion protection uh, or ex extrusion prevention, where it's it's almost important to uh, mo more important to know what's going out of your enterprise mm -hmm. than what traffic is coming in. Exactly. I mean, obviously, when it's going out, somebody's already gotten in. I mean, they make it maybe an insider, in which case you still want to know what's going out. So it has it has two parts to it. I think it's also a realization that that we're not good enough at knowing. Uh, what is uh, when we're being attacked anymore because the attacks have become stealthier and uh, they're not interested in, in uh, defacing websites or in causing a lot of damage. They're interested in getting in and getting out without being noticed. And so a lot of times the only way you can know that is when you uh, monitor where, where the data is flowing and decide whether or not that's appropriate or not because just watching uh, packets and, and protocols uh, isn't enough. And so yeah, exactly, I think that's uh, uh, part of part of the issue, but like I said, a lot of other part is just looking at the content rather than uh, saying what's uh, the, if their communication is going out. 
but isn't isn't actually understanding the business processes and and trying to understand how how data fits into the the business processes a little bit foreign to most uh, instant response professionals? They're they're mm-hmm. much more used to dealing with the bits and bytes and and bad packets. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that that's that that's an education process, and and that's part of what's stopping. Uh, a lot of these new technologies from really being effective, things like data leak prevention, extrusion prevention, whatever you want to call it, is, is that you don't have that. A lot of them right now are very basic in saying, well, we'll just alert anytime we see a social security number or a credit card number. And uh, to, to me, that, that, that's, of course, a low-hanging fruit, and it's great if you can catch those things. But it doesn't, um, most of the time, I mean, there, there, are, there are other things that people can steal, trade secrets and other things like that that don't correlate with that that you want to protect. And, and so uh, you need to get beyond just that whole um, uh, sort of low-hanging fruit issue, and that's where you need to build that understanding. Uh, and I agree that it's, it's not something that the, those teams know much about, but unfortunately it's something that they're going to have to, to deal with if you want any chance of, of, uh, of catching a lot of this data that, that you really need to describe better before you can actually catch it. Well, is DLP really the solution for this? I mean, it, it is hard to install. It is hard to actually get running uh, properly and, and tuned for your business. Is there a simpler solution than, than trying to understand the business processes? Well, I mean, there's there's a, a number number of components to GLP. I mean, you have the network component, which certainly you can put a box out on the uh, on the perimeter, just like you do with IDS right now, and and it doesn't really require a lot of effort. It's when you start moving out to agents on the desktop and and uh, working with with some of the DLP products over the past couple of years. Uh, uh, we've certainly noticed some conflicts and some other issues, and nobody wants another agent on their desktop that's gonna that's gonna bog down performance. So. Uh, you have to sort of uh, divide and conquer in terms of what you, how you want to approach it. I mean, as things become more encrypted, the network monitoring becomes less useful also, and unless you uh, break the SSL connections, which the federal government is looking to do uh, through their, their Einstein program and, and have uh, um, proxies to uh, uh, read the data to make sure it's not inappropriate. But, uh, so, I mean, there's, there's still some perimeter options, and a lot of organizations uh, are looking at some of the perimeter uh, appliances to at least start out that, and, and that, that they don't really cause as much problems. You can do other things such as um, sort of the equivalent of web crawling, of, uh, which takes some time over the network where you don't have to install the agent, but at least can find out where the data is. Uh, so there are things you can do, and those tools can be part of it. In my way of thinking, though, I mean, data leak prevention may very well have a very short lifespan as it gets taken over by both uh, enterprise search tools and, uh, and forensics tools. I mean, the tools that, that is, uh, something like Encase Enterprise or Paraben or, or FTK have uh, can do a lot of the same things that data leak prevention tools. They don't block, but they, they basically can serve as agents on the desktop and alert anytime it sees a, a pattern of data. And they also can sit below the, the encryption layer so they can uh, come up and re- read packets going back and forth and so forth. So uh, that concept of data leak prevention, I think, is, is a value whether the products themselves uh, end up uh, being what's implemented, I think, is an open question. A lot of them, are, such as uh, Vontu, are getting integrated in with semantics endpoint protection anyway, so you may very well have that capability, but it's really uh, ha- a small part of, of the larger issue, which is having the ability 
not only to see data and, and block it when necessary, but to also uh, have better intelligence or better tools, uh, content analytic tools, to be able to decipher that data, understand what it is. You have multi-language issues too, uh, but be able to uh, uh, better uh, match concepts so you're not just looking for a credit card number or social security number. You can uh, say that this data is similar to other data that you've already deemed to be sensitive. So there are sort of different tools, fuzzy, lo fuzzy logic tools, and other things that can be used and leveraged, which is why I think the enterprise search products will, will certainly have a big play. Companies like Autonomy uh, and others that are already heavily into that space can easily move into uh, parts of data leak prevention or at least detection. And uh, you can also leverage some of the blocking tools that we've known for years and things like IPSs and so forth to do similar things. Uh, but I think it's the market's still shaping up in terms of actually what you will need. So what I'm largely going to be talking about is how do you organize your instant response team and your, your sort of business processes in a way that you can leverage whatever tools uh, develop. Well, you're also asking uh, incident response teams to become a lot more proactive about data, which is not necessarily something that they've traditionally done. Right. Yeah, and that's been a complaint of a lot of uh, security, not only incident response, but security operations teams is that they sit on the perimeter and just look for uh, suspicious packets, but uh, they don't they don't take a, an active part in the in securing the organization, which I think a lot of organizations expect uh, security operations centers to do, and so they should be doing ongoing scans, and those scans, in addition to looking for um, things that need patching can just as easily look for uh, sensitive data that's in the wrong place. And so uh, a lot of the expectation of a particularly of a security uh, operations center is to make your organization secure. It's not just a, a niche area where uh, a bunch of guys like to look for, for, for malware and, and for uh, packets that look strange. They, they're, they're sort of the... Um, the service that that keeps that, that keeps the organization secure on an ongoing basis as as an operations function, and then you have I mean, consulting and other things for design and and uh, other aspects of security. But it's really providing a greater value for that security operations center, which usually includes some sort of incident response, uh, either uh, in house or or outside, and, and uh, which presents other issues. I mean, the SSC, among other organizations, runs a managed security service. Uh, that basically does monitoring, and uh, we also do some incident response separate from that. And so the challenge for us and for other organizations, even if you do it in-house, is how do you set up a team in a way that they're better able to know the customer's environment and can uh, can really provide value as opposed to just having somebody that will, will monitor a tool or something like that. Well, it's a huge difference to, to, to understand your environment as opposed to mm -hmm. just, uh, as you say, just monitoring a tool and looking at a trouble ticket and trying to figure mm -hmm. it out each step along the way. So what uh, what draws you to FIRST and, and uh, what what is FIRST offering to the people who will be attending in Kyoto? Well, I think FIRST, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking at the RSA conference and I've done that a number of years. So I, I've seen what sort of a very large security conference can offer and what it does. And, and I think that the difference with FIRST is, is that it really is, uh, I mean, it obviously goes to quality in terms of the type of people there. They're, they're often some of the very top people in incident response and in security generally. And, and so you can, uh, you can easily get to uh, discussions at a very technical level, at a very, uh, that, that provide, that allow you to 
sort of learn quickly uh, what some of the top people in in the business, particularly in incident response and, and security monitoring, are doing. And I've uh, really liked watching the, uh, the the traffic. I haven't really contributed much, but I've watched the traffic on the uh, on the on email listserv, and, and that's been uh, very useful because uh, some of the insights of the people, even though they're they may be talking about news stories that I've heard from other places. Uh, certainly add a lot more value, and you have some of the people that work with Microsoft and others that are sort of very much on the uh, uh, on the inside with respect to um, uh, what's what's developing and, and, and new threats and things like that. So it, it's a community that I think that if it were much larger, that they probably couldn't uh, share as much information. I think that's a challenge of a lot of uh, a lot of these. Uh, um, Outlets is that uh, once they become large enough, or this information becomes public, then a lot of the useful information goes away because of concerns about sharing it with tech communities, or just simply the potential embarrassment if organizations were to uh, share about a breach or something like that. That uh, at least this way, people can be a little bit more uh, open about what's going on. And I think that as a result, it's a lot more informative. Well, Gibb, thank you very much for taking some time to talk to me sure. today. And, Absolutely. And uh, can, pe- can people uh, read your writing anywhere? I actually have a, uh, a inf- information security law blog at uh, infosec.blogspot.com. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, have a good day. Great. You've been listening to the podcast for the 21st Annual FIRST Conference in Kyoto, Japan, June 28th through July 3rd, 2009. For more information, please visit conference.first.org. I'm your host, Martin McKay, and I'll be bringing you more interviews from the speakers and organizers of the FIRST Conference, as well as interviews live from the conference itself. You can also listen to my weekly podcast at netsecpodcast.com and read my blog at www.mckeay.net.